Listener Production. Hello and welcome to another edition of Willow Talk. Adam Peacock alongside Brad Haddon. Hads, good to see you again. Good to see you again, Adam. Excited about today. We've got a, a new member in the, the Australian test team, Cameron Green. New squad's always exciting for a new series, so we've got a bit to cover. Absolutely. We're going to break down Australia's test squad and all the permutations about the batting order to face the Windies, uh, relive Hads' favourite mem- uh, memories <laughs> from playing the Windies. And, um, yeah, I, what I believe, Hads, is that your family have some good memories too of your test debut over there. Yeah, that, it's normally a stressful time for, for everyone, but uh, – where my two brothers uh, were sitting in the crowd, it, they were very, very relaxed. But I'll, I'll go into that mm. uh, a, a bit more later. Look forward to it. We're going to chat to Sydney Sixers star Jackson Bird ahead of the Sydney Spash this weekend and get Jackson's thoughts about the the next cabs off the rank in terms of the Australian men's test team and Australian cricket in general. Of course, we've got risers and fallers. Remember to follow the show on social media. Search at Willow Talk Podcast on TikTok and Instagram. Nearly at 10,000 followers on Insta. You! So we'd love to crack that soon. And the best way to get in touch with us, like Nick has, is to send us a DM. And Nick asked a really left-field question he has before we get going. Has absolutely nothing to do oh, with dear. cricket. Hads, what happened the time there was a bomb scare outside your home? <laughs> i tell you what happened then. Some goose. It was 2015 Ashes. So yeah. away from home. And I don't know, the <laughs> the garbage man come to pick up all the bins in, in the street and somehow there was two deodorant cans that were taped together had fallen in the street and it was closest to my house. And it hadn't, yeah. at the time had, had a reporter, um, I don't know who broke the story. They said, oh, there's a bomb outside Brad Haddon's house. My neighbours are getting interviewed. Everyone's making a big deal of it. They rung me and said, do you want to make a comment? I said, yeah, can you just put those bombs just underneath the foundations, one in the left corner, one in the right, because I'm about to knock it down and it'll be a lot easier if you do it um, <laughs> while I'm away. So I, I didn't give it much. It was two deodorant cans. I, I don't know how they made a flipping story about it. It was in the paper. My, uh, my dad's and mum ringing up. Every, everyone's laugh. I didn't take it too serious, but uh, because it's an ashes, so everyone thought it was a story. So yeah, it was a story, Hats, because no, it wasn't. <laughs> it, it, well, if people thought it was a bomb, yeah, it was a story. But then you find out it was two Lynx Africas put together. So what happened that they just conjoined and what uh, something happened where it sparked it and it just went up in flames? Did nothing it? went up in flames. Someone just found it sitting on the road. Oh, it didn't even blow up. No, nothing blew up. Uh. They were just two deodorant okay. cans there sitting next to each other and all of a sudden some <laughs> idiot decides to make a story about it. There's a bomb out the front of Brad Haddon's house. But I, I tell you what, they were disappointed when I said just put it under the foundations. I, I wasn't giving it any any time at all. Dickhead. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, glad I got you in a good mood for this yeah, episode. I'm ready to no, go let's now. Let's get into it, <laughs> shall we? The squad, no real surprises. Bowling unit the same. Scotty Boland's in there. He's, he's going to have to hope someone twings a hammy in the nets or something like that to get a bowl. But all looks the same apart from two names that stand out. Cam Green, who's been in the squad, he's going to play. George Bailey saying it. He will be in the 11 for the test in Adelaide. Matty Renshaw is obviously there as backup, like Scotty Boland is for backup in case something goes a miss. So Bancroft misses, Harris misses. It looks like there's going to be some adjustment to the order, you would say, Hads. What would you do? If you're like putting the order down on the piece of paper to the match referee, how are you going at it from Australia's point of view? Yeah, well, I, I, first and foremost, I like that uh, Green's come back into the team. 
They've kept him around the, the squad the whole summer. He hasn't played any big bash. So that sort of gave us a, a pretty good insight that, that he was going to stay around. And looking at his shield numbers, he, he's the, I think, the, the next best batter to, to come into the, the side anyway. He, he averages 60 at number four. He's got a first-class average of 50. Um, and every time he's had an opportunity to state cricket, he's nailed it. So what would I do? I know Steve Smith has put his hand up to open, and, that, and that's a character he is. He, he loves a challenge. He'll do anything to, to put the team first. A few others have, have, have not put their hand up and said, no, 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 I'm comfortable with where I'm at. But Steve Smith's a different beast. And the reason why he's such a good player, he, he likes to be challenged. He, he likes to get out of his comfort zone. But I, I wouldn't bat him at, at opener. I would put Steve Smith at three. The position has made his own for, for a long time, and, and I'd put Marnus at the top. I, I think his game uh, suits opener. He, he leaves the ball well. Yes, he's played well at three. He's come in many a times early and, and done a job, but I, I would put Marnus um, up the top. But if Steve Smith wants to do it, well, that, that makes it easier for everyone. But, yeah, I, I would go Marnus. So it sounds like you you don't like the idea of Cameron Green coming in and opening. Is that because he's back in the lineup and you want to make it as comfortable as possible and four looks like it's his natural position and that's where he's going to find comfort straight away? Yeah, I'm not against Green opening. Technically, he, he's got the game to do it. And we've seen um, Usman, uh, he, he's come from the, the middle order and in state cricket, and he opened. Simon Kadich did it really well in in, in modern day time. He, he's he's done the same. Mm. Watto was really good um, when he he was given the opportunity. If you remember in, in an Ashes series, I, I think got five fifties in, in a row, and it sort of set the the tone for the way you wanted to play. So I, I think Green's still an option. They might go he, him in the middle order, but do, do they want to upsettle that middle order with Marnus mm. Smith at three? Head, Marsh, Carey, they've been pretty strong over the last couple of years. They complement each other. They've got their style of game um, right. Steve Smith, maybe he's just looking for a challenge. That's why he's come out. But, yeah, you you could easily put put green there. With opening, is there a different mentality required in red ball cricket? White ball cricket is a bit different with opening. But in red ball cricket with opening, is there a characteristic that you've seen in your days playing red ball cricket that – is a common trait with good openers, their mentality. I don't know what it is about them before they go out, if they're nervous, if they're jumpy or they're calm as possible. Is there something there, Hats? I, I tell you what, they're, they're tough. The majority of the openers uh, who've been successful uh, are tough. It, it's a hard job. You, you're out there facing the, the new ball. But the technical characteristics that, that you need is, one, you need to trust your defence. That's first and foremost. You don't want to be facing the the moving ball if you, if you don't trust your defence. Uh, the other thing, they leave well and, and recognise moments uh, when to score. You, you need to be ticking the, the game on. Can't just occupy the crease these days. You, you need to be finding ways to score. So if you look at all the, the great openers at the modern time, Matthew Hayden had a real presence about him, Michael Slater, Justin Langer, they they all trust their defence, but they, ha- they had this uh, attacking flair um, that they – could move the game and put the pressure back on the opposition bowlers. Who was the toughest bastard you saw open the batting? And it might not be, it might be at a, a lower level, a grade cricket or a, a state cricket that actually, oddly enough, enjoyed being hit by a new rock. The, the one that everyone talks about, and, and I, I wouldn't have done it, is Matthew Hayden. He he used to count yeah. Shoal Bakhtar's balls down. He, he used to say to him, mate, I think you've got 
18 really quick balls. <laughs> then he'd start counting them down. And, and you hear stories from Ponting or Langer at the other end thinking, Jesus, shut up. But he, he knew he'd, he'd take him on. Then he said, mate, if I get through these 18 balls, I've got you. I've got you. And then I'm, um, I'm coming for you. Yeah. Easy to say when you're six foot three and built like a block of units. Yeah, but not, not that easy when the, when the ball's getting up around 157 k's. It, it's definitely not that. Um, <laughs> it's not that easy That's to a good do. Point. So, mate, yeah, they're a special a good point breed. You, make, you, you, you reckon um, wicketkeepers are a weird bunch, mate? Opening batters have to mm. be right up there to want to go face a new ball. They don't know what the surface yeah. is going to play on. Exactly, and especially if. The, the bowling team has something to protect or something to uh, go after that, you know, the little blood in the water type syndrome. It's uh, It can be horrible for the opening batter. But speaking of Matty Hayden, he called for Renshaw to replace Warner. Merv Hughes called for moving Smith to open short-sighted given Smith's inexperience and age of the team. And Merv was pointing on the fact that, well, where's the next generation coming from? And I get that point of view, but personally, Hads, I, I don't, I don't look at ages when it comes to who's in the test team. I know it's a, I'll always worried about what next, but from my point of view, it's numbers. And the dude can be 45, but he's posting numbers and he's scoring runs as opposed to someone who's untested at that level. I'm going for the guy who's in form. Uh, what's your take on the notion of making sure you're bringing through younger players into the test team? Yeah, I think that that'll naturally happen. And what what is a younger player these days? I I know I debuted at Test cricket at age thirty. I played sixty six Tests, had a couple of years out of the ground. I'll take that as a good career. So what is the the age? I know this is an aging list where you got Kawaj at thirty seven, Smith thirty four. To to get someone like Green in at twenty four, I like also. But the reason he's mm. coming into the team is he's put more numbers. Uh, up than anyone else. A every time he's got an opportunity, he's dominated state cricket. So what mm. George Bale and the selectors have said, he he's the next best batsman and we're going to find a spot for him. I'm interested in some of the names that have been named in the one-day squad, linking it to the test squad because we we'll of course, want to guard against like five players retiring within 12 months from the test team. And then there's that vacuum and you, you, you're chopping and changing with replacements potentially. But the names that stand out for me in that one-day squad – Aaron Hardy, Lance yep. Morris, Jai Richardson. Now, you know, and I love my WA cricket at the moment because they win a lot, Hads, but are you excited by those names being involved in the, the one-day squad to face the Windies in these three matches, uh, MCG, SCG and Canberra, first week of Feb? Well, this is, some, this is new ground. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit uncomfortable here at the moment. I don't really know what, what to say, but no, I, I like that Jai Richardson's uh, back fit. As I've said to you um, before, I'm a huge fan of, of Jai Richardson. I had a close look at him when I was on staff with, with Cricket Australia. He's just had a horrible run with injury. And if he can get himself back to peak fitness, his skill level is ready for international cricket. He's ready, main. And, and Morris, we, we just need to give Lance Morris as much cricket as we possibly can at this level. He's one of those guys that's that's unique. He, he can bowl the ball up at around 150 Ks and, and you've got to give him exposure. You've got to give him opportunities at, at the highest level to to develop their game, to, to be around this Australian team. And, and you've got to remember at the start of the summer with, with Morris, they, they had him in the test squad 
They had him in the test squad. They they gave him a taste of of what it's like to prepare as an Australian cricketer. They he got a really good look at the three uh, opening bowls on how they prepare. He went back to to Big Bash. He he got five wickets and he's got back into the team on the on on performance. So when you bowl on the hundred and fifty k's, you got to give him an opportunity. Absolutely. I should mention Matt Short in that squad as well. So Marsh, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins managed uh, and Stoinis left right out. Surprised at that? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Marcus Stoinis probably hasn't been in the form he, he would have liked uh, over the last couple of years. I, I'd imagine he'd still be – his name will come up in, in 2020, but they, they, they want to give Aaron Hardy a go. Aaron Hardy's been yep. absolutely outstanding. What, whatever form of the game he, he's played, he's – He's made a real difference. I like that he's also taken on the captaincy that the Perth Scorchers. It shows a, a real maturity and a, a real cricket smarts um, that he can add to his game. So Aaron Hardy and, and Matt Short as well. He, he's been unbelievable mm. in this big bash and he, and he can play different roles. He can play him at the top of the order or he can play him in the middle order where he bowls and, and adds a bit of value there as well. So it's, it's a good squad. So, uh, yeah, those three matches starting Feb 2 at the MCG. Steve Smith, by the way, captain, he just can't get enough cricket, uh, Stephen. And our man, Travis Head, as the standalone vice-captain. So there he is with his petrol station sunnies. He'll be in the outer uh, for the MCG, getting Bay 13 going again, hopefully. <laughs> Hads, let's get to playing the Windies. You made your test debut. You, you played eight tests against the Windies, um, one six drawn two. You came in just after the absolute golden era of uh, West Indies cricket, but they were still a challenge, I dare say. Uh, when you played them, you, your first ever test, Kingston, May 2008. Firstly, who, who gave the baggy green? Yeah, well, I got my baggy green presented by Ricky Ponting. So, yeah, it was Kingston, pretty mate. Pretty good. Yeah, that was uh, pretty good. He, he had some nice words to, to say. And it was a bit different for me, actually, um, the first time uh, against the West Indies because you, you've grown up watching how intimidating they, they were and, the, and you watched the golden era. And, and we probably haven't seen that from West Indies for, for a lot. We haven't seen that from a long, long time. Their test cricket's declining. And, and that was probably the, the start of my test career, career was their decline, um, actually, where 2020 cricket and white ball cricket became much more of a focus of um, for the West Indies. But, yeah, I, I still had my debut in 2008. My, my family couldn't go any further across the, uh, the world. But I, I remember... <laughs> <laughs> My family was sitting in the stand and that side of the, the stand were really, really relaxed. And I remember speaking to my, my brothers after day one, he said, I tell you what, where we're sitting, I don't know what's coming out of that groundsman's shed, but all we wanted was Doritos and we were really, really, do <laughs> really, really relaxed. <laughs> so, yeah, mate, they had a good time, the, the family there, but uh, I tell you what, they were – they weren't as nervous as you, you'd think in your test of view, but I don't know well, why. I've, I've, I've seen a picture of that ground and, like, it, it's one of those where it's you know, you've got a, a, a plunge pool in the outer. Now, there's a few cricket grounds around the world who have this right now and generally speaking, it's not the most, uh, most intense atmosphere if you've got one of those in the outer. Put it that way. No, I, I tell you, I, we've... The, the the pool was something that that was you first seen in the 2007 actually World Cup where uh yeah they the, the rum was flowing and they, they had a good time over there I actually seen Murph yeah. Hughes and his tour group uh, jump in there that that soon uh, got rid of a bit of the water but we've we've, um, 
We've actually sung a, a couple of team songs. Really? Yeah. We, we've taken them once everyone's uh, left the ground. We've gone over to the to the pool and and, and uh, banged out a, a couple of team songs. So yeah, it was it, the atmosphere that the West Indies in the early days in the two thousand and seven were was a perfect example. The, the crowds really got into it. There was swimming. Yeah. Um, as I said, they were really, really relaxed, and I, we'll go into that later. I'm not too sure why, but the music was always pumping, and it was a really probably 2020-style atmosphere before 2020 had really arrived. So the West Indies got into it. Jeez, um, you, your game going in one of those pools at the end of the day, it looked like a stormwater drain after a biblical oh, storm, um, the, yep. the quality of it. Anyway, hey, uh, your first test innings, you come out, Against the Windies. So, yeah, okay, it's not Ambrose and Walsh and co that you're facing or Garner and Marshall, but, you know, they'd have their tails up and things are going okay for them. You walk out and Andrew Simons greets you at the crease for your first ever test innings. What were the words of wisdom from Roy? And did you take it in or were you too nervy? I remember walking past Roy and and he just looked at me and, and he called everyone Joe. So... I just <laughs> walk past. Oh, I don't know. And I, I walk past, and he just goes, "Joe, enjoy." And went back to the non-strikers. <laughs> but you know what? When you you really think about it, you, you don't want a lot um, going through your head when you're walking out for your first test run. Anyway, you got head noise there. Anyway, you're thinking, "Where's my first run going to do it? Am I going to get a duck on boo or?" And I just remember just hitting one to to mid on and and running and, and knowing Roy the the way I did and playing a lot of cricket, I opened my mouth, and nothing came out. Um, so <laughs> he ran, I ran, and uh, I got off the mark. I think it was off Bravo. I just tapped one to to mid on it and got to the other end as quick as I could. But uh, yeah, Joe, enjoy, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew Simon's one of the one of the greats at just keeping it very very simple. And <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing the time that I did a, a commentary stint with he and Darren Lehman, and oh yeah, and, and Roy would call Darren Lehman Daryl, Daryl, <laughs> the yeah. whole time, Uncle Daryl, <laughs> Uncle Daryl. Oh, I don't know about that, Uncle Daryl. And he say that in commentary, it was hilarious. <laughs> it was so dry and so fun. When you score your first Test run, hands don't matter where it is. When you score your first run in any game. There's this kind of feeling of a an imaginary weight lifting off your shoulders, but I can't imagine what it's like at test level when you finally get off the mark. Relief. Yeah. It, it's just all about relief. You you just don't want to get a duck in your first test. So I no. think I only got a dozen or so in the in my first test. But once uh, you get off the mark, they can never take that first run or the first catch away from you. Absolutely, absolutely, and then then you become you, you weren't as relaxed as your family in the outer, but you know it. Uh... <laughs> Definitely not that relaxed. <laughs> uh, after the game, it was a great introduction to Test cricket. Because uh, Johnny Howard was there, he came in for for a beer afterwards. Your family came in, <laughs> of course so he was. It was yeah. you just going, wow, how good is this? Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, a few other good battles. You you watch Chris Gale go nuts in Adelaide uh, and Perth in the 2009 series. Ricky Ponting was forced to retire. Now, you've always said that Ricky Ponting is one of the toughest yep. blokes you've played cricket with. Kemo Roach got him with one and he forced him to retire. Could you believe what you were seeing? Couldn't believe it. And everyone was sort of in a bit of shock um, when, when Ricky came off. To, to see someone uh, had the stand in the game um, that Ricky did, but how tough 
uh, Ricky Ponting was. He, he'd stand in front of the the best, wouldn't give an inch, mate. You remember early days in his test career, he didn't even wear a helmet. Uh, I remember Mohammed mm. uh, Shemi from from Pakistan. I, I think got him in the um, in the jaw. He didn't mm. flinch. So when he got hit in the arm, we, we were all going, "Hang on a minute, um, this young kid's buying some gas, and this arm of Ricky Ponting is not going to look good when he gets off." So I think it just hit a nerve, and and everything went numb. So. He went back out there, but he was quick mm. roach then. And I remember batting with Doug Bollinger and he ended up running himself out actually in the first innings. And Roach was getting up around 150 and the ball was reversing. And I said, how are you going? He goes, I'm not facing him. I said, you might have to <laughs> face a couple of balls, Doug, but we'll see if we can get a couple more runs in his first innings and end up running himself out coming back from two. He's never in the game. It was always going to happen. <laughs> with the Windies, and they always seem to have these – young, quick bowlers, but then they, as soon as they come onto the scene, they go away. Now, you mentioned it before, the trouble with a, a nation like the West Indies is that the central contracting, they can't stick them to test cricket and they go off contracting around the world T20, which is fair enough. They've got to furnish their lifestyle and their, their lives and help their families out. But is there natural talent still coming through with West Indian cricketers? It's just times change and that's what's stopping them from being at the top? I think what's stopping them from being at the top is their appetite to, to play four-day cricket. They're still as athletic yeah. as, as anyone in, in the world. You, you watch them move in the field, you, you see the power when they hit hit the ball. But I think it's just the, the appetite to, to play four-day cricket. Um, they, they've seen mm. 2020 and, and one-day uh, cricket as a, as a real lifestyle and and a form of the game that, that suits the way their, their mentality is. I, I tell you the hardest West Indian – I've ever faced, and, and it takes mm -hmm. you back to watching make it Mark Wall, Border, Taylor, and, and guys like that. You think, wow, this was different. I played against Joel Garner in a mm. uh, like a practice game, like a social game in the UK, and, and I mm. remember him coming into bowl. And he's obviously, right, mate, he's a lot older than me, but I was just sitting there thinking after the first ball he bowled, the bounce, and he was past the side screen. I was just thinking. Imagine have to stand in front of that when he was quick. <laughs> then when you do stand in front of that Marshall, then holding you, you just you got all new respect for for the era of Taylor, Border, Steve Wall, Mark Wall, having to stand in front of guys like um, Ambrose and, and that present time and time again because mm. you could not. The ball was coming over the top of the sight screen. I, I know we laugh about it, but it, it was so uncomfortable. Someone that tall, it felt like he was just dropping the ball. Right in front of you, he, he was a he was a monster. My goodness, I, I've just thought of something we can do through social media. And sorry, Sammy, I'm going to do it to you. In the lead up to this Windy series, I think we should find out who our Willow Talk listeners' favourite ever West Indian cricketer is. So I don't know how we do this with a with a poll, and we there's put up one three or four names, and, and then have an other. Well, there's Viv. There you go. There is Brian Lara. Sobers. There is. Malcolm Marshall, Kurtley Ambrose, Gary Sobers. My personal favourite, because I just loved his action and his nickname as well, Michael Holding. Whispering Death. Whispering Death. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest nickname <laughs> in cricket history. But, I mean, who do you put in your top three out of that lot? Or if there's someone, even from a keeper's perspective, the guy who changed how, you, how agile you have to be behind the stumps, and he was a tad theatrical, the great Jeffrey Dujon. 
just diving around everywhere, taking screamers. Well, it's hard to put a top three, but Viv's in there, Sober's in there. And the the other one oh, I love to watch, and I, I thought he was one of the great entertainers, and, and he brought a real science to, to bat. And if you, if you talk to him, he was Brian Lara. The, mm. the sum of the innings he played, and you have to also remember, he, he was against a red-hot um, Australian team um, at the time. But mm. if he, he could control the the game off his own bat. Even when the, the batters w- weren't qu- quite the stand you'd think for test cricket, if he went off, he brought the West Indies um, back in the game. So it'll be interesting to see what the listeners like. I'm Surely Viv has to be number one. Yeah, we can do that, Hads. Corey Collymore would be my selection, so we'll try and get him on the <laughs> list. Uh, but I've got some breaking news for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, George Bailey, the national selector, has just confirmed Steve Smith will open the batting in the first test against the West Indies with Cameron Green coming in at four. So there we go. We know the 11 and we know the batting order now. Okay. So as we sit here right now, we've just found out some breaking news. As we record this, you're listening to this obviously at a later date. But, uh, yeah, Steve Smith opened the batting. He's, it feels like Hads, and I was going to mention this earlier, that it feels like he is so open at this stage of his career to try a few new things, like what we've seen him do in T20 cricket. So maybe he's gone and said, no, I, I want to do this because I feel like it's a good way of maybe prolonging my, not interest, but my career because it's going to give me a fresh new challenge. The one thing with Steve Smith is that he wants to do it. He came out mm. public and said, I'm happy to do it. And you've got to remember the, the, the true greats of the game and Smith's tracking to, towards um, that with his numbers, that they want to be challenged. Um, they want to be stimulated. They they want to make a difference in the game. And, and maybe C. Smith sees that at this stage of his career. He's, he's got all these big hundreds when Australia have been in trouble early. He's come out to the new ball. Mm. Another thing with the new ball, you, you've got to bowl a lot different with the new ball than you do the old ball. We've seen with Steve Smith, they bowled a um, straight at, at him a lot now, going mm. at his pads. They've used a, a lot of bounces to try to nullify his scoring. You can't do that with the new sp- ball. Leg slip. Yeah, yeah you, leg you slip as well, they always put in. Yeah, you can't do that with a new ball. You, you've got to give it the opportunity to to shape. If you start hitting the ball halfway down the, the track with a new ball, all, all of a sudden you, you lose your advantage of having a new ball. So what it will do, is it'll open scoring options for, for Steve Smith. And, and when they do go back to the style of game that we've seen I'm against him of the part of the last few years. Mate, he's forty or fifty, and he's he's on the way. So yeah, it's a smart move from from that point of view. So that was reflections on the West Indies with a bit of breaking news chucked in about Steve Smith opening the batting. Uh, we're going to have a, a little breather for a moment. Back in a moment with Jackson Bird on Willow Talk. We are back with this episode's special guest. It's a pleasure to have Jackson Bird joining myself and Hads for a chat here on Willow Talk. Bertie, thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, back no, no playing worries, thanks, Big Bash with the Sydney Sixers. Um, how have you found the season so far? Enjoying it? Yeah, it's been good so far. Um, we started pretty well, had a, you know three wins on the trot, and then yeah, we sort of had a tricky little period there. We had a couple of games that were decided by the weather. And then, yeah, I think we had a good win against the Stars in Melbourne last week. That was sort of a danger team playing well. And we always seem to play well at the MCG. So it was nice to, I suppose, get that win on the board and, and get a bit of momentum going to the last couple of games. So, yeah, big game on Friday night. Yeah, we've got Captain Magenta with us, of course, the co-host of this podcast uh, in Brad <laughs> The most biased 
opinion of Big Bash cricket I think I've seen in this country from uh, Bradley Haddon, but he'd be pretty happy. And, and it is a big occasion this Friday night, verging on a sellout. Hopefully the weather plays ball, unlike the, yep. the last meeting between you two at the showground. But uh, can, can you feel that point of difference when you play the Thunder, that yeah, there's a bit more riding on it and there's a bit more chatter out in the middle? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we obviously play most of the year with a lot of those guys at New South Wales. So, yeah, it's, it's good to, I suppose, get the wood over them in that sort of respect. But, yeah, it's always fun playing in front of a big crowd. You know, it was a sellout at um, Showgrounds the other day and you know, it looked like they had about 3,000 people at the game the other night against the Scorchers. So the fans obviously love coming to watch us both play. Um, and, yeah, I mean, sellout at the SCG, yeah, there's nothing better than that. So... And you're right, Adam. Oh, I am a one-eyed magenta, if you remember. <laughs> if you remember, that's where it all starts. I tell you what, though, I love the the local derby because you just have to look at the – I don't think the Thunder believe that they can beat us. And as a perfect example, and I just said <laughs> us then, yep. us, Adam. And it was a perfect example, actually, last game when, when the rain hit. There, were, there was 20,000 people out there at the showground. Everyone there wanted to see a contest. The, the Thunder had won one game. And they rushed off the field for bad weather. If they had stayed out there for, for one more over, taken a wicket, all, all of a sudden they got the opportunity to, to get one up on the sixes and they would have been in front of the game with Duckworth Lewis. But they didn't. They were worried about losing the game and happy with one. So that there's a difference. But, Birdie, on another subject, we could talk about the sixes for ages. <laughs> You're back in Sydney now. <laughs> You're back in Sydney. Um, your family happy. You've had a, a couple of years in Tassie, but it's good to be home. Yeah, it is. Yeah, living up in uh, Avalon on the northern beaches, um, which is beautiful up here. So, yeah, I had a great time down in Tassie for, I think I was down there for about 12 years. So, yeah, I love my time down there. But I guess at this sort of stage of my career, I was looking for a different sort of challenge and coming into a new environment and yeah, playing with a different bunch of group, um, guys in a different organisation was something that, yeah, I suppose was interesting to me. And then, um, you know, I've loved every minute of it. It's probably, I feel like it's going to prolong my career for a couple more years. And, yeah, really, really enjoying my time in Sydney. It's been great. And you left for, for opportunity in Tasmania and you're lucky enough to, to find it there. You, you made your test taboo down there and you had some really successful seasons. But you've come back, I'd imagine, a lot more mature player, obviously, but in a different role. Uh, it's not just about the, the on-field success now. It's about mentoring the next group to come through. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the, sort of my individual goals of playing for Australia are probably – um, you know, once you get to a certain age and you stop getting picked in teams, you, the sort of the goalposts for your career, they sort of move a little bit, you know. So instead of wanting to, I guess, play for Australia, um, I think that's not going to happen anymore. So I think the best thing for senior players to do, and I think it's really important for senior players in any team to, I guess, show the young guys the ropes a little bit. First class crickets, it's bloody tough um, when you're a youngster coming through when you're still trying to work out your game. So I guess... From my point of view, if I can help any of those younger guys, you know, on and off the field, on how, on I guess, how to best navigate through the early stages of the career, then um, that's what I suppose I'm here to do. And yeah, it's something that I actually really enjoy doing as well. We've got a good group of young guys at the Blues now, so we're heading in the right direction, which is good. Yeah, and Hads has been on about that for uh, a couple of months now, but he's now got a smile back on his doll that the blue baggers are going okay. Jackson, just back to your time in Tasmania, what was the best gift that you gave the curator there at Bell Reeve when he pulled back the covers on day one and it looked like a billiard table and you could seam the ball around like a lunatic because of your accuracy and your brilliant bowling that way? Yeah, I was lucky coming in 
Well, I was lucky I came into a really good attack as well. We had Butterworth, Hilfenhouse and Faulkner when they were all in their prime. But, yeah, the wicket had branches growing out of it sometimes. So um, <laughs> I remember my first couple of games in Shield Cricket, I was like, it's not that hard. Um, so lob it up until a week. And they nick it, but I soon found out, you know, obviously travelling around Australia and um, <laughs> but yeah, it is pretty tough work. So, no, I was lucky in that respect to sort of get my career rolling on a few uh, green tops, for sure. Nothing's changed at the, the, the bookends of the season at, at, at Hobart. You see the wicket on day one on the highlights. You go, where's the wicket? It's, it, it's the, the square. We can't tell where it is. Anyway, hey, um, nine tests for you, but remarkably three of them, Boxing Day tests. Like, that's a that's an incredible strike rate. Like, that's like if you were to be offered that at the start of your career, I'm, I dare say you'd take it given the occasion. What What's the one Boxing Day test memory that jumps out? Now it's in the rear vision mirror this year again, but it's such a special occasion, spending Christmas down there. Was it was it a weird kind of feeling being involved in those setups or was it unbelievably enjoyable and only good times? Yeah, look, I'll probably – I could – I'd probably hand back my last test at the MCG when we played on that absolute flatty against England. But no, it was uh, the first time I got picked. I was, you know, I'd only played 14 first-class games, so I was sort of pinching myself that I, I was in and around um, the group. So I probably didn't uh, – I was a bit naive to the whole occasion, really. You know, I got my baggy green off Bill Laurie. Um, you know, I'd grown up listening to Bill on the commentary, so that was pretty a pretty surreal moment. And, yeah, I suppose I was lucky enough to get a wicket in my – Second over, which sort of settled the nerves a little bit. And, yeah, we had a great win. And then, you know, we had a great win the second time against Pakistan. I think we bowled them out for 120 in the, the second innings where there was it was looking like it was going to be a draw. It pretty much rained the whole game. So that was a great win to be a part of. But I reckon the thing that sort of sticks out the most when I was there was in the Boxing Day was when Davey Warner got out on 99 off a of no ball. And then the very next ball got his 100. It was pretty funny. I've never heard a, a crowd as loud as that. Um, and it was funny because all the English blokes came through and absolutely give it to him on the way through when he got out. And then next ball, obviously it was a no ball, next ball got his 100 and then he took off and celebrated like he does. That was that was pretty memorable just for the, the noise of the crowd and it was actually just pretty funny. It was standard, standard ball really, so it was great. <laughs> yeah. Was um, with Dave Warner. What was your first encounter? Was it bowling to him or with him in the same side? And did anything stick out in particular? Because it seems like at the moment everyone's got a Dave Warner story. Yeah, I started playing against Bull when I was about fourteen or fifteen, and I don't even think twenty twenty cricket was around then. And he used to play all the shots, reverse sweeps, laps, all that sort of stuff. So seeing a young <laughs> kid come through and play that uh, was pretty special. And then you know played all my sort of junior rep cricket with him as well and yeah he's pretty pretty similar to what he is back then to what he is now just full of energy yeah it's always something going on when Davey's around I remember the under-19s World Cup Davey used to order all the food and drinks and then just put it on all the other boys rooms so at the end he didn't so yeah but no he's obviously had a fantastic career um, he's a hell of a player so. Well, speaking of hell of a player, he's got the helicopter allowed to land next door to the, the SCG and uh, he's there for the, the Sydney Bash. So, mate, it's only been 10 games this year. Have you noticed the, the difference? Has it put a lot more pressure on the, the way you start the tournament? 
Well, I might actually ask Paul to come and pick, swing past and pick me up in a helicopter from Avalon because it's actually <laughs> it's a bit, of a, bit of a commute before the game. That's unbelievable. But yeah, 10 game season, there's obviously a lot more riding on every game. You know, you can sort of, in the 14 game season, you could have like a, a bit of a lull, I guess, in terms of you could lose a few games and then get on a roll and still make the finals where I sort of feel like this sort of shorter tournament, you have to, every game is, is super important. So yeah, there's a few teams that are still in the hunt, I guess, in the next couple of um, rounds. So it's got to be interesting to see how it pans out. Um, there's been some really good cricket played, I guess, by a lot of teams on some pretty difficult wickets. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You, of course, can't preempt what you're going to say in the moment. But hypothetically, Jackson, if you get David Warner second ball, are you going to run past him and say, F off back to your helicopter now? Or are you just going to leave it? You're just not going to, you're just not going to stir the pot with him? No, I try not to celebrate too much because I'm usually pretty close to the front line. So I don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to celebrate too hard and then bowl a noe. So um, I usually just uh, try and stay pretty level when I get a, um, get a wicket in 2020. So you never know. Fair enough. Like, but there's, there's going to be no chat to David out there about how he got to the game and, you know, um, <laughs> anything else about missing caps or anything like that. You'll, you'll just play it low-key with him? Yeah, I will. I'm certainly, he's probably not the type of player you want to sledge too much. But, yeah, yeah there's plenty of ammo for the boys if they want to go after him. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. With playing with New South Wales back to, to state cricket and trying to cultivate the next crop, when we look at an Australian test, I mean, there was there was talk, we talked about it before the break, about, oh, should the Australian team, should we be blooding teams in the the um, the Australian team? I'm fervent of the opinion that, no, that that's the finished article. Your development, your blooding goes on at state cricket. What you see around the joint at the moment, Jackson, are we set up for a good period in the next 10 years with both batting and bowling? Because you see a lot and you see these players going through that development stage. Yeah, look, I think Test cricket's definitely not a place for people that uh, for still people that are still developing their game to a certain extent. You know, you want guys coming in who are ready to go and can have long sort of careers, um, know their game inside out when they do get to the Test team. Because if you don't know your game well enough, you're going to get found out pretty quickly because it is pretty tough. But yeah, look, I think there's lots of good players going around at the moment. Batters, bowlers, there's obviously Bancroft, Renshaw, Harris, those sort of guys coming through. Uh, Will Pukowski shown that, you know, he's averages 50 in first-class cricket if he can, you know, obviously had a few issues um, around concussion and stuff like that. And then, yeah, there's lots of good fast bowlers as well. I think in the PM's game, Jordan Buckingham has come on sort of leaps and bounds in the last couple of seasons. And guys like Jai Richardson, Lance Morris, Nessa Steckity, there's lots of good fast bowlers going around. Todd Murphy is a spinner as well. He's a, he's a great offie to replace Gaz when he decides to hang him up. So, and I suppose the good thing about Australian cricket, um, there's always producing, we're always producing world-class players. So um, Cameron Green's another one as well, you sort of forget about, who's only really young and averages 56 in the shield. So yeah, he's yeah probably the next one to come through really. So yeah, I think it's in a good spot really. Speaking of, of world-class players, Bertie, and I know you're a great student in the game, have you seen anywhere around the world three fast bowlers that complement each other as well as his current crop. You've got Paddy, obviously Hazelwood and and Starkey. It's as good as you get facing these three, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, those three guys have been around for a long time, but, you know, anywhere that they go, 
away at home when someone needs to step up and, and get it done. Either one of the three gets gets it done more often than not. You know, Camo's obviously at another level at the moment. The way he's been bowling over the last sort of 12 months has been it's great to watch, really. As someone who's obviously captain as well, there's a lot on his plate already. And for him to lead from the front like that has been great to watch. And Josh Hazelwood, um, you know, I'm a huge Josh Hazelwood fan. Um, I always found it hard coming into sort of the test team, test squad when he was in it because I'd look at him and I'd watch him bowl and I'd sort of try and do what he does <laughs> and I'd try and replicate that and then I'd end up bowling all over the shop and I'd have to just tell myself to pull my head in and I wasn't <laughs> Josh Hazelwood. <laughs> just stick to what I'm good at. So, and yeah, he probably went unrewarded this summer as well. He bowled beautifully all summer and I suppose the other guys got the spoils. So it was nice to see him get a few wickets in that second inning. And then, yeah, obviously Starkey. Um, Starkey's as good as it gets really, so... And, and you touched on it before. You, you've captained teams um, before as a bowler. What, why is it so hard captaining when you are a fast bowler? Like when you're not bowling, it's it's fine. It's just when you've got the ball in your hand and you've got to think about stuff that's going on the next over and then trying to run in and bowl and still, you know, hit a line of length. I found that really tough. I hadn't done a lot of captaincy uh, before I captained in the shield, so I was still sort of learning um, what I needed to do and stuff like that. And, yeah, just – you know, trying to, you know, focus on when you had the ball in your hand and trying to hit a good line of length when you think about other things, I found really tough. But I also found it really tough to get the ball out of my hand because when you're not captain, you say to the skipper, oh, can I have one more? And he just says no. But when I was skipper, I'd be like, yeah, righto, let's go. We'll have another one or two overs. So I'd end up bowling 50-plus overs in a shield game. So that was probably the hardest thing. Fair enough. Well, Jackson, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Um, Good luck this weekend uh, against the Sydney Thunder. Apparently, you've got some guy called Smith coming back into the top order as well. He goes okay? Yeah. That'd be good to see. Hopefully, he another 100 up. So, yeah. Yeah. wonder if he's going to open. Anyway, um, mate, thanks so much for that. Appreciate the chat and um, good luck no, for the no rest worries. of the season. And, um, yeah, hopefully that career's got a few more years left. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers, Birdie. Yeah, Jackson Bird. And, and hopefully, Hadsy does stick around for a few more years because that – the experience, the invaluable experience at state level for these cricketers coming through. And that's why I asked the question about nurturing young players and, and what's out there at the moment. But even even he, you, you look at his bowling technique and you think, oh, well, he doesn't need to do too much. He just kind of runs in and line and length and everything like that. But even he felt unsure of himself, comparing himself to someone like Josh Hazelwood, who himself looks pretty simple as well. It's these, these subtle things that we don't know about bowlers that um, it's hard to pick up. Yeah, and, and you need guys like Birdie staying in the game. You, if you look at Peter Siddles doing the, a similar role for, for Victoria now and the rene, Renegades, he, he's not playing every game. But to, to have those guys around the, the squad, the experience, um, we, we need to keep them in, in state cricket for, for as long as we can. We've got, we got Sokio Keith doing the same for the Sixers. He's got a couple of young spinners there in, in Murphy and, and young Davies where he, he can part some knowledge on. So what you want is these guys, they don't have to play it every game but what they do do is allow the the young guys to, to have a sounding board talk a bit about the game their experiences on, on different surfaces with, with the pressures of of performance so to, to have guys like that stay around it, it's invaluable for mm. for the first class system absolutely i actually saw a photo the other day ais squad of steve o'keefe was in the same team as U- uzi and also dave warner can you imagine those meal times 
can you imagine the pranks going on in the, the change room? Because <laughs> the attention that David Warner and uh, Saki O'Keefe would have in the change room at a young age, mate, it would be carnage. Well, Saki, Saki had the, um, the the big summer hairstyle as well, like you've had a couple of times. A, a bit, your blonde tips because of the, you know, salt water. So, yeah. As I've told you. As I've told you on a number of occasions, that was a really, really hot summer. We did a lot of recoveries yeah. at the beach and, and Socky was just around the squad uh, then as a rookie. So, yeah, he suffered the same fate. Fair. It's a, it's a real shame and a real mystery, really, how it all how it all happens. <laughs> Rises and fallers now. Let's get to Rises and fallers. The Australian women's team bounced back so well um, in the, the white ball stuff against India over there and a pretty challenging tour because – Hads, I don't know if you noticed it, but it, it felt like there was a a complete lack of respect for the aura, not respect for the, the cricketers that Australia are, but respect for Australia being world number one from the Indian side. Harmanpreet Kaur, can't wait to chat to uh, <laughs> Elisa Healy about the, the no handshake. I've noticed it. I reckon a few people have noticed it, but it was good stuff from Australia to respond to that because maybe not what they fully expected when they left for the tour. Well, you've got to remember this uh, Australian women's team has dominated the sport for, for the best past of, of two decades, actually. Um, no mm. one's really come come close to them in, in big events. And, and India have recognised the opportunity that maybe it's a, a little bit of a change in the garden. And they didn't take a backward step. Um, they, they challenged the Australians. They challenged the Australians in ways that they're probably not used to. If I'm honest, not shaking hands. It's not something you, you see in any sport. You, you want good sportsmen first, but... What they were doing is they're saying, okay, you're, mm. you're in our backyard. We've got to do things differently to get under the skin of, of this Australian cricket team to to get a result. Um, they, they won the test match, which is which is huge that the girls don't play that many test matches and, and we know how much they they pride themselves on, on coming up for, for that fixture. So, yeah, it, it was a good contest. Um, Australia have got over mm. them in the end in the white ball games. But I, I tell you what, they – they, they put up a fight, India, and, and just sort of changing the, the mindset, I, I think, on, on the way the world's going to approach this Australian team. Did you ever not shake hands with an opponent? Never. Never? No. Oh, I'd never do it. You, you, you're brought up to, to go out, out to battle and, and, and give it all, um, no matter what sport you, you play. Um, the, one of the first things I, I taught my boys and, and my daughter is go and shake the opposition's hands, shake the umpires, and, and shake the... Um, coaches the opposition coaches hands so th- there's never occasion I wouldn't do it could you feel though that when you shook hands with an opponent that you maybe have tried to get in the head out the middle of that they were looking at you as if to say oh do I have to oh, okay yeah we'll shake hands well it's interesting because I never thought like that I, I-, I never thought yeah. um I do-, do I have to no matter what happened um out in the field I'd imagine there would have been times the-, the other way where they said oh I'd like to punch him rather than shake his hand but that that was all part of the sport. You're out there to get yeah. to get a competitive edge, but how, how you're brought up and and it's how Australians are brought up is is once you walk off uh, across that line, mm. it, it's um, well played. You got the better of me um, today. That the doors open if you want to have a beer, but you always um, respect the opposition and shake hands. Look forward to getting uh, the full rundown of what went over there from mm. Elisa when she gets back in the country. She half century for for heels in that final game. Uh, she actually got out, uh, got given out, but then they had a close look at it and blurry vision and did she hold the catch in the outfield? And 
they gave it not out. So she got the reprieve and and walked back. But uh, yeah, Australia, after losing the one-off off test, won the one-day series 3-0 and the T20 series 2-1. Huge crowds as well for some of those games, which is great to see. Another riser, Hads, Pat Cummins. Now, we mentioned it earlier in the week. Pat could be number one test bowler again. He is not. He is. But by the <laughs> rankings, he's not. He's five ranking points behind Ashwin. He's leapfrogged uh, Rabada, which is which is good for Pat. But, I mean, he as we mentioned earlier in the week, we're not swapping him at all. Well, I, I don't think in anyone's eyes Paddy can go any higher um, than, than what he did over the last 12 months. Every big moment uh, Australia needed a bowler to stand up, it was Paddy who, who grabbed the ball. Um, and we said it before, we, we said it, uh, the second, ga- the third game in the World Cup when Sri Lanka were none for 100. It was Paddy that mm. took the ball and changed the game. Uh, we've seen in the World Cup final, uh, just starting to get, get away from this India and, and all of a sudden the, the man was there himself. So, yeah, he he just keeps winning the big moments. Uh, in, in our eyes, he, he's number one in, in the world and we would not swap him for, for anyone. Eight players in the top 10 test batters and bowlers combined. Australia Cummins at two for the bowling. Hazelwood, seven. Stark, nine. Lyon, 11. And for the batters, Smith, three. Labuschagne, four. Kawaja, nine. Travis Head, 12. So, yeah, plenty of room for improvement there. And maybe by the end of 2024, we're not only the best test playing nation in the world for the men's, but got number one in both batting and bowling. Fallers. Unless you've got a riser, sorry, Hats. No, just look at and just looking at those rankings. Uh, I, I think that the, the other thing is, yes, we've we've got about eight players in, in the the top ten or top fifteen, but where we are ranked number one is how well we complement each other and play as a team. This Australian team at the moment is absolutely red hot. They're, they're winning everything in front of them, but the big riser in that is how well this group plays together as a team. There should be number one fielder in the world as well. It's a crucial Manus. part of the game. I don't know how you measure it. Manus? Yeah, yep. He's he's become Jonty Rhodes, hasn't he, basically? Well, well what Manus does, he, he tries to influence the re- result of the game in the field. One, I don't think he can stand still. So no matter where the ball is, he's like a little um, fox terry. He's chasing the ball. But the big thing he does, he puts himself in, in the hot spots. We see with Jordan Silky in the big bash running from side to side. But he's at bat pad to the spin. He's he's running around in, in the covers. He creates a, a lot of chances. But he wants to influence the the result of the game. So I, I, I love that from Manus. Tell you who isn't the number one uh, fielder in the world. Poor old Abdullah Shafiq. Anyway. That's another story. Plenty of headroom for, plenty of headroom for improvement for uh, our man Shafiq. Fallers, Hads. Sydney showground pitch, uh, like in that Sydney smash that they had, the outfield looked like my face when I was 15. It was it was all over the shop. But the spinners dominated the Thunder Scorchers game. Ashton Agar, two for six. Ricky Ponting called the pitch substandard and suggested the club just take off and go play in Canberra. Now, not a Chris bad Green, idea. Thunder not Cap- a bad idea. <laughs> would... would would you check? Because you grew up in Queanbeyan, which is not Canberra, but it's bloody close. And you used to play for the ACT back in the Mercantile Mutual Cup or whatever the hell it was called back then. Would you switch allegiances from Sixers to Thunder if they moved to Canberra? Well, I tell you what, it would be hard sell. Oh, it would be a hard sell. But I tell you what, they they play good cricket there at Marnica over the Thunder. That the wickets always high class all the time. The outfields are outstanding. So. I know they take two of their games there each year. Maybe they 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 flip it. They take three and and play two at the showground. But 
Yeah, the, oh. the, the pitch was hard work. It, it definitely offered something different to what we're used to, but the, the Thunder team didn't respond. Uh, uh, the disappointing thing about that is how they reacted to the surface. Yeah. You, you see that they were getting frustrated. There's a period between 12 and, and 16 overs where all they were worried about was being um, frustrated rather than work the twos, playing a, a different style, and, and then maybe you get to 150 and you win the game. Any other fallers before we go, Hads? Nope. No. Nothing. Pretty happy with life. Yeah, pretty Fair happy. Enough. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that's Willow Talk for this week. Um, we will reconvene for a couple of episodes next week, Hads. But in the meantime, have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the cricket that we get to watch. Mm. And you enjoy the tennis? I'll try. And watch some cricket as well. <laughs> that was Willow Talk, everyone. Back next week. Have a good one. <laughs>